So today I am uh, very honored to be joined by our guest. He is the host of the Don't Tread on Anyone podcast. Uh, everyone, welcome Keith Knight to the show. How you doing there, Keith? No complaints, brother. Thank you for uh, having me on. Yeah, of course. You know, your show is uh, one of my favorite podcasts out there. Honestly, it's uh, it's been one of the podcasts that I've I, I think I've learned the most from, um, and it's always really enjoyable. So I had to make sure and, and get you on. Um, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, of course. Um, so one one thing. Um, my wife actually wanted me to ask you first before we get into this was if you've ever done any uh, uh, voiceover work and if you haven't why haven't you no I haven't if you have any good gigs send them my way I'm happy to um, the, you know what the, the only thing is I uh, have a playlist titled best articles on libertarianism and I have done some just uh, audio versions of uh, my favorite excerpts from either books I really like or uh, or articles and essays that have really uh, persuaded me to uh, embrace the idea of uh, self-ownership. Right on. Yeah, I was actually going through some of your older videos last night and had seen that playlist. So I'll have to make my way through that one. So first question, um, really, what, what brought you into libertarianism, volunteerism, and all of these different ideas. So originally I had been a Barack Obama supporter, seeing government as more or less the mechanism by which uh, you can sort of right the wrongs of the natural world. Inequality exists. Well, we have this representative and this mechanism to work through called the state where we can sort of uh, rectify this injustice. What do we have police for? The bad guys. And this is sort of the feedback mechanism. Uh, there's poverty that exists. Use the state. This way we can influence the present and the future and sort of uh, achieve our societal goals, not just our individual ones. During his uh, administration, he had proposed this idea, the Affordable Care Act, which uh, later passed. Just like Medicare, just like Medicaid, it, uh, it drastically increased the cost of health care, totally Orwellian term, Affordable Care Act. <laughs> and um, what uh, one of the arguments around this was, well, you know, well, there's costs and benefits and it could limit people's options and lowering the supply could increase the costs. And so I was sort of against it. And then I heard that there was an aspect of it titled the individual mandate. And the mandate meant that if you didn't purchase this item, well, you would uh, be sent to jail. And sent to jail is uh, s sort of a weird way of, you know, framing the issue, sort of like how you're sent a gift card in the mail. <laughs> what they actually meant was uh, the police are going to come to your house, take you away from your family, uh, put you in a cage, and if you resist any of this, they'll shoot you because you didn't go purchase something that a group called government wanted you to purchase. And this seemed totally wrong, totally unjust. And so for the first time, I was like, well, you know, I like this Obama guy, but I think he's wrong on this issue. You just got to let people opt in and out of this. And then I just thought about this and I go, how can this guy get away with this? How How is this part of the law? 
And I asked, are there any other realms in which this could be possible? And turns out a system of Medicare, uh, what this also would apply to. This also applies to uh, the schooling system that the state runs. It also applies to the Food and Drug Administration to a certain extent, to uh, the, the extent which they're not um, uh, receiving income from corporations who get their uh, regulatory stamp of approval through that process. So virtually, this is actually what made this thing called government a unique institution, was that it had the sole right to force people to do things that were not self-defense related. So while anyone could virtually stop a rapist, stop a kidnapper, that's not what made the police unique because they specialized, allegedly, specialized in doing something that everyone else already had the right to do. What made them a unique institution is they, when they use the excuse, I just did it because someone told me to, it actually has legal backing. Anyone else, we'd laugh at them and say, oh, you're a kidnapper and your boss hired you to engage in human trafficking. Oh, that doesn't matter. You're responsible for your actions. But when the police enforce all these unjust laws, they say, well, you know, John McCain voted for it. So it's totally justified. And uh, don't uh, don't ever hold me accountable for the actions I choose to engage in at a job I voluntarily applied for. So coming across this totally unjust social fabric of this institution. It changes both almost everything while changing very little. So as different as things would be if people uh, simply embrace the concept of voluntary exchange and uh, consenting contracts uh, uh, contracts between consenting adults, it, it's such a small ingredient that's so vital for civilization for people to be able to achieve their ends, for people to engage, uh, uh, deal with each other as rational human beings. This was so important that, uh, as you know, terrifying as it was, I uh, slowly went from supporting Barack Obama to liking the Glenn Beck show. And then, of course, I still appreciate the contributions of Glenn Beck and people like Tucker Carlson. But um, yeah, eventually I just uh, came over to the libertarian side because I didn't have any double standards for uh, the state. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, there, there's always things that never made sense to me. Um, being served a, a no seatbelt ticket by a police officer on a motorcycle. Um, of course, uh, pretty much marijuana lots uh is <clears throat> when i was younger that's that's where a lot of uh i think the the this idea that the state is all powerful and everything is really where it started breaking down for me i i think uh my my waking up moment was the federal reserve and you know thanks to ron paul um, that was really my moment. Um, and it was just mind boggling to me that anyone can really even hear about these things and just be like, oh yeah, that's just totally normal. You know, that's, um, it's frustrating, honestly. Um, just, just recently I actually had a conversation, uh, one that I, used to have all the time and hadn't had in quite a while, but it was a uh, marauds, you know, 
Um, taxation is good because it pays for roads and hospitals and all of these things. And uh, got to the point where it's like, well, it, it might. I don't believe that it does. I don't believe there's uh, very much evidence to uh, support that. However, uh, the harm that is done in the name of taxation uh, far outweighs any of the good. So um, another thing I really wanted to ask you was the libertarian platform itself. Um, there, there seems to be a lot of changing that's going on uh, with, with uh, the Mises caucus coming in. Um, the reason why I wanted to ask is, like I said, I've, I've learned quite a bit from your show. Um, I, I would view, view you as uh, at least one of many authorities on, on the idea, the philosophy of libertarianism. Um, and so I wanted to ask you uh, about the abortion issue. Where does libertarian fall in this issue? Um, for anyone who doesn't know, I have the platform right here. Let's see. It's actually just sent to me. Um, so the platform, um, section 1.5 of the uh, Libertarian Party platform, it's recognizing that abortion is a sensitive issue and that people can hold good faith views on all sides. We believe that government should be kept out of the manner, leaving the question to each person for the consensus consideration, for their consensus consideration. So let's just uh, change the word abortion for rape, assault, or murder. Murder, rape, and war are sensitive issues, so we want to leave those to uh, the, the individuals. Well, that is just so pathetic that they would even put that into writing. I pray to Jesus the Mises Caucus takes over and rewrites that entire thing. When it comes to the issue of abortion, what we as libertarians see, at the philosophy of freedom, is that in order for people to uh, be justified in their actions, they can basically engage in this sphere of morally permissible behavior where you can do anything you desire so long, small caveat, yet big caveat, so long as you do not initiate aggression or uh, coercive, uninvited physical interference with the body or justly acquired property of others. So when it comes to the issue of abortion, what you're dealing with is not just the uh, woman's body, uh, but you're dealing with a second party. So in the case of whether or not you have the right to abort a fetus, I think the answer is unequivocally no. What you have is a separate life with separate DNA. This is a unique human being that has been created. Therefore, abortion involves initiating aggression against a peaceful actor and is totally unjustified. And the fact that the cowards of the LP have not even been able to either take a stand on it. It's one thing, well, I'm pro-choice. I think the costs outweigh the benefits. Well, I don't think it's really a life as much as I disagree with that. At least it's not something so ridiculous that doesn't inspire anyone to do virtually anything. They could say, well, you know, we're about to, you know, win this big election. So we're kind of selling out our principles a little, but they're not about to win anything huge. Or they could say, well, look, we sold out our principles, but we're going to uh, be able to win in the future. So what the LP is giving us, absent the Mises caucus so far, hopefully, 
is the worst of both worlds. No principles and losing. Sometimes you have to sort of give up. Look, <laughs> no, look, it's like, uh, I don't want to chip in to, you know, send weapons to Jabhat al-Nusra to fight Assad in Syria. But the reality is this is a concession I have to make in the real world because the reality is the costs of getting out of it are just too high. So, look, you have to make all these concessions at some point. I'm not saying, you know, d die on every single principle you ever hold. But the fact that they're so unwilling to just take it or that, well, it's a state's rights issue. Well, that doesn't get to the heart of anything. It, it, right now, murder, I believe, is a state's rights issue. Like, unless you're Oswald shooting Kennedy, allegedly, then that would be a federal <laughs> issue. Or if, like, you shoot someone on a plane, the plane would be under the FAA's jurisdiction, therefore it's federal land. But most murder is, according to the state of Arizona, according to the state of Alabama, and et cetera, I believe murder is a state issue. Uh, I don't think murder's in the Constitution, as far as I know. I could be wrong about this, though. I'll have to ask uh, Patrick McFarlane, the attorney at the Libertarian Institute, where I work. So, um, yeah, the, uh, abortion certainly is murder because it involves initiating aggression against a uh, a, a living human being that um, has not aggressed against uh, anyone else. The concept that it's a trespasser uh, is certainly uh, invalidated because it was the uh, result of other people's actions bringing them into this situation. Uh, whether it's the mother or the father, it's akin to saying, well, I don't want this child in my house, so I'm going to exclude it by force if necessary. Well, is it some wandering kid? Is it a bunch of hired kids from a uh, child mercenary? Or is it a child you had as a result of you engaging in intercourse, in activity, which you need to know the uh, the, the results of? So, uh, yes, uh, I certainly think uh, abortion is murder. Now, just because you think something is outlawed doesn't mean you believe that the state should go to any and every mechanism to enforce said law. For example, I uh, don't support uh, the uh, legitimacy of murder, theft, or rape. This doesn't mean the government gets to monopolize all activity so they could stop things like rape, murder, and assault, even though that is the justification for them doing anything. But we need to say at the very minimum, what we need is, well, to abolish regulation in the economy. This means that things like birth control would be much more accessible. You wouldn't have things like uh, state schools, which would mean that you don't have uh, cultural Marxists uh, advocating uh, depopulation agendas where they tell people, well, your history is terrible, your, cultural, uh, your culture is terrible, and you, human beings, are bad for the environment. And the uh, only other people have uh, real good things to offer. And uh, e even so, you know, uh, we're uh, engaged in uh, overpopulation activities. So even if all of humanity died, things would be kind of good. This is something that gradually lowers the birth rate of a people over time. So uh, simply those two things, which you wouldn't see is de directly related to abortion, deregulation in the economy, allowing for an increase in access to birth control. There's no justification for you needing a uh, doctor's prescription. This is an actual your body, your choice uh, position because another human being isn't involved. And then um, abolition of, uh, of state schools, which uh, promote the degeneracy, which certainly lead to uh, people living lifestyles that are much more careless. They hardly, if ever, uh, 
tell people the importance of individual responsibility. It's so often, well, things happen because societal structures uh, make them so. This is the Marxist theory of social determinism, or what Stalin called uh, dialectical and historical materialism. It does anything they can to stop the individual from being at fault. Are you successful? Well, other people did that. Barack Obama tells us, are you a failure? Well, that is something that uh, the society imposed on you. So all of these terrible things put us in a situation where you're going to have a lot of abortions and make it the big issue that it is. So what you want to do is have an outer structure that discourages uh, pregnancies that are uh, unlikely to come to fruition as the result of the man or the woman's desire at a later state. Then you want to not have a state that subsidizes things like Planned Parenthood or has a welfare state that doesn't have criteria for uh, women who make responsible decisions in who they choose to sleep with and whether or not they choose to uh, take birth control or stay abstinent. So, uh, no, uh, the, the LP is uh, totally wrong on that issue. I always thought it was a interesting stance to take um, considering personal responsibility. I there, There's one act that results in a child and you know, the, the argument uh, back to that, uh, you know, against abstinence is, well, that's just not going to happen. That just can't happen. Like, people aren't going to stop. Stop. It's like, what? <laughs> um, you know. I'm, and look, I'm... and if people can't choose to uh, not be trusted, whether or not they engage in sexual activity, uh, which, uh, and, and exclude uh, the birth control methods, any birth control method that you can think of or find on Google. Uh, God help you if you try and look for those. <laughs> um, if you can't do that, well, then we certainly can't have a state because then people could vote and occupy that state. And according to you, people are so stupid, they can't stop themselves from having a child. If they're that stupid, we need to make sure there's no state where they could coercively impose their will on uh, the people who can make that decision. Exactly. So which is it? You know, you can't have it both ways. Um, you know, it, when I was younger, I was definitely on, on the more pro-choice side of things. Um, and as I've gotten older, I've, I've definitely become, uh, okay. I, I don't even like the, uh, the, the terms pro-choice and, uh, pro-life. I, I think they're disingenuous to what the argument is. Um, pro-abortion or anti-abortion. Um, I, I've become more anti-abortion as I have gotten older, mainly because of arguments like that. It's a uh, personal responsibility. Um, it's not your body. Um, and I do find it interesting because at a certain point, you are violating the nap by bringing somebody into existence without their permission anyways, which is why parents have a certain responsibility to raise their child and feed their child, um, make sure that they're a productive member of society. So I don't see how two wrongs make a right or being or giving women the ability to choose who lives and who dies. Um, I mean, they kind of already do that through sexual market value anyways, um, yeah. deciding who to mate with. So um, I don't think extending that, uh, that you know, uh, societal um, choice uh, 
you know, up to nine months with a child is uh, moral or ethical. Yeah. Uh, the, the bottom line is the left totally overplayed their hand. Had they been totally discreet about this and not um, going on these, you know, uh, I love abortion marches with, uh, the, you saw the woman <laughs> on Comedy Central, Michelle, uh, something uh, Michelle to, to Wolf. that extent. Michelle Wolf. You know, all of this rubbing it in their faces, it's like they've kicked the bear a thousand times and for some reason the bear hasn't eaten them. So just go home. (laughs) But they're like, no, we're going to keep kicking it. And then it's like, you know what? Well, this certainly motivated people. Calling people racist a hundred thousand times led them to say, you know what? Anyone who says screw you to my enemies, I'm going to vote for. And that was Trump. And Trump appointed three Supreme Court justices. So that's what you guys got. So. Um, yeah, just let this be a lesson. You could have allowed people to opt out of it. You could have had other issues at the forefront. You could have not villainized innocent people. And the reason I'm just picking on the, uh, left here is simply that they have been in, you know, total control of, you know, the cathedral, which you could call universities, the, uh, the, the government, the media, uh, Hollywood, certainly human resource departments, which tell corporations what they can and can't do as far as public relations goes. Uh, these marketing campaigns, K through 12 education. So that's why uh, it's uh, important to uh, f- focus on them for uh, the time being. So an- another thing I wanted to ask you about, um, let's see, I was trying to find it here, was the... Uh, the very particular line uh, regarding civil rights. Um, let's see. You know, it was uh, the we we deem um, bigotry irrational and repugnant. Just that one sentence, and the the thought of what what a lot of the uh, Sarwark. Um, libertarians are pushing uh, as far as the critical race theory or the um, if you don't sign my my pledge then you're excusing racism within the LP and kind of kind of what that plays in to um, the actual philosophy of the LP yeah um, I just want to see if I can find something real quick um, when it comes to the uh, concept of bigotry. Uh, I see it all the time from the, uh, the, the Nick Sarwarks of the world where uh, <laughs> that they're always judging people negatively by the uh, accident of birth uh, that you know, I, I'm not even going to say which race it is because all that matters is that uh, he does it more than anyone else. Certainly things like uh, affirmative action explicitly say, um, you know, some people have different rights than others. It is mandatory to discriminate some uh, against some people. This is simply the idea that all uh, differences and outcomes are the result of discrimination. It's just as ridiculous as me saying Asians have higher incomes than whites. This for this, Therefore, we need a White Lives Matter campaign. Uh, Jews are shot at a uh, smaller uh, proportion than whites are uh, by the police. Therefore, we need uh, male lives matter because uh, men are killed more by the police than women. It's just this intentional divide. You can look at the Council on Foreign Relations.org and they go, look at these inequalities between whites, blacks, and Hispanics. And they don't mention Jews or Asians or Nigerian Americans. They just clump all blacks together so it can be nice and divisive. But Indian Americans out earn all of them. 
when uh, when they immigrate to America. You think Americans are like so specifically bigoted and technically bigoted that they're like, well, that looks like an a Nigerian first generation American. So we're not going to be racist and oppress them. Only domestic <laughs> blacks from historical uh, American generations we're going to discriminate against. Um, so uh, no, uh, the, yes, bigotry is bad. Uh, the primary parties engaging in it are the Democratic Party and uh, Nick Sarwark's version of the Libertarian Party. Uh, all we do is take that principle and apply it uh, consistently. So, so with that being said, um, I, I I think this is kind of a ridiculous question, but I I do kind of want to ask it. Um, is the the LP, um, the, the philosophy of the LP, is it inherently right-leaning? Yeah, it, it certainly seems um, that way at, uh, at this time, just because the left has uh, totally gotten uh, d- drunk with uh, the power of the state. Uh, someone who's on the right is much more likely to embrace the uh, opposition to positive rights, the idea that you are entitled to health care, as opposed to the concept of you can acquire health care any way you want so long as you don't initiate aggression. So the idea of positive rights, you have a right to have someone provide you with education. You have a right for someone else to provide you with what is deemed considered health care by the current uh, regime. So positive rights is the main one that makes uh, the current right more likely for us to uh, pick from. Another thing would be the constrained vision, as uh, laid out by Thomas Sowell in his book, The Conflict of Visions, that there are certain constraints, and with every action, there are costs and benefits. The reason this is so important is because whenever you hear uh, people talking about um, state intervention, they say, we should go liberate the people of X land. Well, as someone who has the constrained worldview, you know that there's costs and benefits to everything, that there's what a, a imperfect version of what would happen if we go in and an imperfect version of what would happen if we, quote, totally stayed out of it. So this way of looking at the world, that there are constantly limitations, costs, benefits, short-term results, long-term results, both on individual people and groups as a whole, this makes people uh, more right leaning and then of course the concept of egalitarianism which uh, which i went over uh, previously if you see all disparities as the result of discrimination that need to be rectified you're much more likely to recognize the state as being legitimate so yeah i would say uh, people on the right are probably at this point in time uh, more likely to agree with us one alternative view could be uh, posed by um, I want to say, God, it was probably in the early 90s, by Hans Hoppe writing an essay for the Journal of Libertarian Studies called Marxist First Austrian Class Analysis, in which he says, look, there are five general claims to the theory of Karl Marx, and I'm going to concede that all of these are correct. So long as you take the culprit as not to be the entrepreneur, but the state. So you could say, yeah, the right is so good on us with all these things, but if they just embraced voluntary exchanges, the non-aggression principle, or just didn't have this double standard of morality for the state, then we could live in peace. Well, Hans Hoppe says, 
that all leftists going as far as Marxist, so from Hillary Clinton supporters, not her individually, all the way to the Marxist left, we could more or less live in peace with these people so long as they embrace the principle of original appropriation. So he takes original appropriation to mean this is how you come to own yourself, come to own property, and uh, come uh, arrive at the point where you can justly transfer property through contracts. So the Marxists will say, more or less, there uh, are two parties in the world, the exploiters and the exploited. The exploiters create a system of economics and culture that allow their exploitation to be justified. Uh, eventually, this is going to the contradictions in the system are going to lead to a point where uh, the entire world will break down as a causal result, and people will then gain the consciousness to embrace socialism. Well, uh, Hans Hoppe says all of that actually works out perfectly, so long as the exploitator is not people who invest time, who invest money, who offer people jobs. That's not a form of exploitation. If offering me a job for $1 an hour is bad, then everyone who offers me no job for $0 is worse because I have less options because of them. So if my employer's exploiting me, certainly everyone who isn't offering me any job is exploiting me even further. So Hans Hoppe says, look, if we were dealing with people who didn't have, you know, so much power, the left has the House, the Senate, um, they get people on CNN and MSNBC all the time and the K through 12 education and all this stuff. So they don't really have the incentive to look for an alliance with people who make perfect sense uh, with uh, with taking their own issues to a uh, consistent uh, logical uh, foundation. Uh, because they don't have this incentive, they're less likely to do it. However, at any point, you can see that we can more or less form alliances with these people. The main issue is once they see themselves as having power, because someone who they identify with uh, has the ring of power at the time, it's a lot harder to uh, get people to say, well, you know, well, we could go about this a, uh, a, a different way. But uh, yeah, in short, the right at the time would be uh, people were more likely to align with. But then again, Jimmy Dore leftist, uh, Glenn Greenwald leftist, people like Aaron Maté and Mike, Max Blumenthal, we got to be able to uh, talk to those people, as well as, you know, former, uh, n what you could refer to as uh, neoliberals, um, Obama and uh, Clinton and Biden supporters, because that's the camp that I certainly would have fallen into in, gosh, what would that have been? Obama ran in 2008. Um yeah, so it's uh, it's still possible at any realm of the political spectrum because our philosophy is uh, c correct. Just as you know, math will always be correct. We'll still have this correct logical foundation, but some people at different points in their life are more likely to accept these truths than others. Right now, that's the right, uh, as far as I can tell. So I I, I pretty much agree with that. That's I I can't think of anything that I do disagree with that statement. Um, so there, there is a, I would say a fringe group, which is interesting because it's uh, libertarians are kind of a fringe group. Um, but there is a fringe within the fringe of the left libertarians, which I, I do believe you can be left libertarian. Mm -hmm. um, yep, we have a left libertarian at uh, the Libertarian Institute, Sheldon Richmond. Yeah. Um, but there's some of them that are like libertarian socialists 
or libertarian communist. Yeah, and Those... that, uh, that that cannot uh, lo logically exist. That is to say that um, I'm a freedom rapist. Uh, those are certainly contradictions. <laughs> if if you believe in freedom, then people have the right to engage in voluntary, mutually beneficial contracts, even if there is an alleged power differential. The communist says that's not allowed. We support the workers, but if they uh, they're not allowed to engage in mutually beneficial contracts with the bourgeoisie. This is just as bigoted as saying you can engage in, you know, contracts, just not with uh, the, the blacks or the Hispanics. Well, that is just as an arbitrary a group as the bourgeoisie, whether it was in 1848, where the founder of the communists uh, wrote his uh, famous pamphlet versus today. Because you could say, well, you know, a lot of women uh, have uh, power differentials in relationships, so the state needs to outlaw marriages. Uh, a lot of men sometimes have more money uh, than women in relationships, which gives them more leverage. Uh, so we're going to have to outlaw those as well. Um, every, every single interview that I've had is with person that has more uh, what you could call societal leverage than I do. This would mean that they have the potential to exploit me, just the potential to do so. And that would be outlawed under the same uh, justification. So uh, no, anarcho-socialism, uh, or libertarian communism cannot logically exist any more than a peaceful ser serial killer can exist. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted no, to say this. No, you're time. good. Yeah, no, it's um, incredibly frustrating, in my opinion. Um, and and there's there's just like I said, I I don't think it's a very large group, but they seem to be a very loud group, much like. Uh, most modern leftists um and they they you know they seem to be leaving the party which i'm okay with at this point um i would i would prefer it if people would stay in the party and just be better libertarians mm -hmm. um but if for whatever reason they can't get over some of this and um i'm okay with them leaving um you know, I, I really stand behind the Mises Caucus and uh, what what's moving forward. Um, maybe it's time to take the boot off of our head and uh, look forward to the future. We got to you know. reduce the problem by one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. One person at a time. You know, wh whatever it takes at this point. Um, so... Another thing I wanted to talk about um, was um, war. Um, I, I know it's a, a big thing that you have been covering on your channel quite a bit lately. Um, we, as far as I'm concerned, it, it seems like the libertarians are the only anti-war party. Um, there might be individuals in other parties, but we're the only anti-war party. Um, I don't really want to get into Ukraine um, uh, other than maybe some, some of the broad stuff because it, there's a lot of uh, disinformation, misinformation coming. Um, I think it's a really messy situation and other than us being or shouldn't be involved in what seems to be like uh, laundering money through that country. 
I'm not sure what else there is to talk about, but do you kind of want to just give a rundown on uh, what is going on over there uh, for people who don't know? On February 22nd of uh, 2022, Vladimir Putin recognized the independence of people in Donetsk and Luhansk. This is uh, two geographical areas in eastern Ukraine uh, that borders Russia, geographical area referred to as Donbass, D-O-N-B-A-S. Now, this was in response to eight years of the Ukrainian government first violently overthrowing their president in the Donbass, Viktor Yanukovych in Ukraine, and then declaring those people who didn't recognize the new government terrorists. And then by calling them terrorists, they waged a war against those people. According to CNN, I use that because, look, if they're willing to admit it, that's probably something that can be verified elsewhere. The, the number is about 14,000 civilians were killed by the Ukrainian government in eastern Ukraine in this Donbass area. So Vladimir Putin recognized that they are, in fact, uh, what you could call Russian separatists. Big deal. I mean, uh, some people wanted to uh, vote away from one government and, uh, uh, and join another. That's not a justification for the Ukrainian government to violently stop them from, uh, from separating. Just as if uh, people in Florida wanted to secede, they would have a better claim over uh, their legal jurisdiction than uh, the government in Washington, D.C. So look, if the city called Donest can't uh, justly choose their own government, well, then how can they influence Kiev justly? This is just very typical of government saying, we're here to protect you. We're also the ones that are the biggest violators of your rights. So what's going on is Ukraine, in Ukraine is basically a land war over a place called uh, Donbass. Vladimir Putin uh, responded to this war after it had been going on since uh, 2014. And that's why they have, uh, you know, basically used this as the justification to turn him into uh, someone evil. And look, it, it looks like Putin is really bad by every metric. However, this justification that, well, he is the next Hitler, you can see that the U.S. lied about him in the 2020 campaign where Joe Biden said the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation. Hillary Clinton lied, saying 17 intelligence agencies confirmed that uh, the Russians hacked my emails. So uh, they've already been lying about this guy. So what that tells us is they're already trying to vilify him and it completely benefits them to have a justification where the Russians are provoked into a war, just like Zbigniew Brzezinski provoked the Russians into a war in 1979 in Afghanistan. So they could have a, uh, they could lessen a competing rival in the area, which is Russia. I mean, it would be the, the other two uh, powers would be Russia, who doesn't uh, seem to always want to uh, play ball when it comes to the American agenda, and China, which almost seems to be leading America when it comes to the uh, the, the tyranny agenda. And also, it's important to remember that uh, the James Baker promised uh, the American Secretary of State promised that NATO would not expand past Germany if German reunification took place. In gosh, I guess this would have been the early nineties. Uh, he made this promise to Mikhail Gorbachev, who was uh, head of the Soviet Union at the time. Since then, uh, NATO has gone into 
Poland, Hungary, Romania, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, uh, I don't know if Croatia and Albania are in there, but uh, certain places like North Macedonia, uh, they have totally gone back on their word and they haven't even tried to justify this. Sometimes you can screw a country, but you have such a big justification that everyone in the world more or less recognizes it and power and Russia wouldn't have the power to later use it as justification. But Clinton and Bush and Obama and Trump didn't even try to justify these NATO uh, expansions. And just as uh, the uh, president of America, John F. Kennedy, would not tolerate Russians having missiles in Cuba right on America's border, the Russian government, uh, they knew, would not appreciate uh, NATO exercises and NATO uh, countries sending weapons to Ukraine as they did after they supported overthrowing the government in Ukraine. So uh, this is a classic issue. L let's say you disagree with everything I just said, and you said Russia invaded Ukraine because Putin is the next Hitler. Okay. That alone should make you the biggest libertarian because we then see that it's not like one government is bad, the American government, and we got to have some reforms here. This is any government is involved in initiating violence against peaceful people. And we see time and time again, governments, when given this power to use their monopoly on violence, they constantly do it. And therefore, the solution is to not recognize such a different moral standard. So the, even if you totally disagree with me saying that this is uh, intentionally the fault of NATO, by the way, uh, other people who agree with this thesis would be uh, Richard Nixon's speechwriter, Pat Buchanan. Uh, another person would be George Kennan, uh, one of the most influential uh, members of the American elite uh, with his uh, containment theory. Also, people like Ted Galen Carpenter, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, who's been writing about NATO expansion. So this is not just some hippie fringe thing that only some of us talk about. People for years have been saying, look, if we expand NATO, we're provoking Russia and driving him into the arms of President Xi in China. So, uh, yeah, that is the situation. And whether you totally agree with me or disagree with me about the cause, you still have to admit that this is another case of government supremacy using violence against innocent people. And the solution is less government. Yeah, no, I uh, entirely agree. Um, I'm all for uh, disbanding NATO. Um, I, I don't see the purpose um, in keeping it around. And from, from everything I know, historically, it seems as though NATO has caused more issues um, than has done anything to benefit. Uh, not to say that they haven't done anything good, but uh, the thing I like to say is Hitler liked dogs. So even the most terrible people in terrible institutions in the world can at least do or have one good thing about it. Um, it's not justification for me uh, for NATO to exist. Um so a, a lot of my listeners are usually either brand new to the libertarian philosophy or um, don't know about any of these ideas at all. Do you kind of want to just give a rundown on why libertarians are anti-war, what the philosophy is of being anti-war? The libertarian advocates that uh, people and groups of people can constantly organize to achieve their ends. So even as just two people are talking, 
Well, we're actually constantly cooperating with millions of untold other people. We didn't create our own internet connection, create our own ethernet cables, create StreamYard, which we're on right now. We didn't create our own microphones or computers, yet we're all constantly cooperating to achieve our ends, both collectively and individually. Now, you can also work through the state to achieve your ends. The difference here is not that libertarians are about the individual doing things by themselves and the state as things we do collectively. As I just illustrated, nothing can be done individually. The practice of talking is with words that other people have invented. So we're constantly engaged in cooperation. All the libertarian says is people are always engaging with each other. Should this engagement be on a voluntary basis or a violent basis? The libertarian says a voluntary one because it allows the most amount of people to uh, achieve their ends. This would be the uh, utilitarian approach. Or the deontological approach would be to say one person coercively stopping another person from engaging in a peaceful activity alone or in combination with others is one person claiming ownership over the life of someone else. So if I want to take an internship that violates the minimum wage law and pays $0 an hour, well, I went to uh, school for 12 years, and that not only didn't pay, that cost me a ton of money, and that was a terrible waste, which I'm sorry I did at this point. If I want to take that risk, everyone has the right to totally persuade me. They have the right to send me all the stuff in the world, and I have the right to block them, but they have the right to offer me alternatives and do all these things so long as they don't initiate aggression against me, in this case, who would be uh, a non-aggressor. That is the general uh, way that the libertarian sees the world. We're constantly cooperating. Uh, the question is, will this cooperation be done voluntarily or violently? What makes the state a unique institution is not that it builds schools. Catholic Church has schools. Not that it builds roads. Google private roads. There's tons of roads that companies build because they want to attract customers. Just as companies engage in marketing campaigns to bring people in, they will build infrastructure to uh, bring others in. Uh, so uh, uh, all of those things are that we see governments do. Well, we need government for police. Well, there's tons of private security. Those are not the defining characteristics of the state. And that's why the libertarian always focuses on the, either the aggressors or the state. So it's not that government is inherently bad. I'm sorry, government is inherently bad in, in this case, or the state is. But it's not that our first principle is government bad. Our principle is initiating violence against peaceful people is bad. The biggest um, uh, aggressor in this case is the state. You could have, you know, a society where, you know, only the people with high IQs have the right to initiate violence against people with the low IQs. And that would also be a uh, clear violation of the libertarian principle of self-ownership, non-aggression, and voluntary exchange. So that's where a lot of uh, what the libertarian later believes when it comes to war, the drug war, uh, economic policy, can be seen through that lens of what could be referred to as voluntarism or the freedom principle or the non-aggression obligation. So you have two sides of this coin where both if people have the right, I have the right for people to not aggress against me. I also have the obligation to not initiate aggression against others. So this means I need to be more persuasive. And if I can't persuade people to do things, assuming they're being peaceful as well, I will uh, always 
as a self-owner, have the right to defend myself. But when it comes to, um, you know, getting uh, people to do other uh, the things that I want them to, I can't take a penny out of their pocket unless they voluntarily give it to me. I don't get a second of their time unless they want to voluntarily give it to me. So this improves the dignity of the individual, knowing that you're not entitled to other people's time. You're not entitled to other people's money, except that which you can get voluntarily. So you have both this entitlement and obligation with the libertarian philosophy. So why would a libertarian be anti-war? This is my long, annoying answer, uh, because <laughs> war is a, a large-scale practice of imprecision. So if you had you know, blown up my house and shot at my family, I would be justified at going to war with you. But this completely makes the term war, it renders it useless. What makes the war unjust is that it's imprecise, as in it does not discriminate the guilty from the innocent. So even like the greatest justification for a NATO war ever was the first time they declared Article 5 in 2001. Article 5 means NATO is going to war because an attack on one is an attack on all. And this occurred in Afghanistan. So instead of uh, finding the al-Qaeda members and uh, negotiating with the Taliban to uh, get al-Qaeda turned over, they sought regime change in Afghanistan for the Taliban. And now you especially know that years later when they say, well, you want to pull out of Afghanistan? Well, the Taliban's still there. They didn't say well, we're not done killing al-Qaeda. They had more or less just said the Taliban's there and that's totally unjustified. So again, you have this practice of instead of going after the people responsible for 9-11, according to, you know, even even if you think the 9-11 story is fake, which I would totally understand if people have reason to, uh, to, to doubt that, there's no reason to believe this criminal regime on anything, uh, you still would have to justify who do you go after and to what extent? Uh, so the reason the anti, uh, the libertarian is anti-war is because war does not discriminate the guilty from the innocent and involves initiating violence against peaceful people in the form of taxing um, the domestic population and often killing, blowing the limbs off of people in, uh, in other countries. So by those uh, two metrics alone, they even violate the leftist principle of equality. Some people have the right to murder others. That sounds unequal. The rightist principle of God says thou shall not murder. Well, that's an anti-war principle as well. So by any metric, this concept of war is one of the most evil things uh, imaginable. And the libertarian really, I think, has the uh, best justification to oppose it on principle. I agree. Well said. You know, there's quite a bit of conflict going on in the world. Um, it, it seems as though the American empire is behind a large majority of it. Um, there, of course, is what's going on in Ukraine. Um, we spent 20 years <clears throat> in the Middle East, uh, $8 trillion, a little over 900,000 people um, had lost their lives. Uh, I believe it's somewhere around 38 million people were displaced. And this goes all the way back. Um, I, I mean, World War II was the last war that was actually 
declared a war by Congress. Ever since then, it's been uh, emergency authorization. Uh, one thing that I do want to cover because I I think it's so incredibly important and very few people talk about it is Yemen. Uh, would you like to give a rundown on what's going going on in Yemen? Yes. In uh, 2009, Barack Obama entered office and uh, the presidency and looked at Guantanamo Bay and said the vast majority of people in Guantanamo Bay are not from Iraq or Afghanistan. They are actually from Yemen. This is an organization referred to as AQAP, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. This organization was uh, most famous, uh, but mostly made headlines in the year 2000, killing 17 uh, U.S. Navy soldiers on what is referred to as the USS Cole bombing. Barack Obama later the cites a uh, reason that uh, the U.S. needs to be in Yemen because a guy named Anwar al-Awlaki radicalized a guy who later shot up a uh, Fort Hood military base. Now, this you can find this in his book, The Promised Land. So that is the justification for why America is uh, bombing uh, certain strategic areas in Yemen because that's where al-Qaeda is. However, in, uh, well, one more thing. Uh, it's not even a very poor uh, country like Yemen that doesn't have a ton of leverage. It's not a great look to just go in and start bombing. What you need to do is more or less form an alliance with the government to declare this group a separatist group. And then you, along with the uh, monopoly on violence government there, the, the guy's name was Salah, you team up with them and together you fight AQAP. And you're, you know, always uh, transferring intelligence, uh, how do we get these people, etc. So in uh, 2011, this guy Salah is now facing uh, what you could call the uh, Arab Spring and a number of these uprisings. And he has two assassination attempts on, uh, uh, on his life. Salah is uh, removed from power and uh, he has to go seek help. So he leaves the country to get his wounds mended. Now, I hope I don't get lost in the, in the story here. When you're dealing with names from other countries, it's a little difficult. His vice president is a guy named Hadi. Hadi then runs for uh, president of Yemen. And on the Yemeni ballot, you can actually see it's one man on the, the entire ballot. It's literally a one-man election. So to the surprise of no one, he wins. Um, and, and if this ever goes to YouTube, by the way, uh, no election uh, ha doesn't uh, has ever engaged in fraud. All elections are totally legitimate. Hadi's one-man election could not have been more perfect. It was most the most secure, secure ele and election, safe election of our uh, of our lifetime. Yes, thank you. Uh, all praise Hadi. So Hadi <laughs> then has okay. You have this guy Salah. Now Salah has been president. He was president of Northern Yemen going back to 1978, and he has a lot of uh, a lot of sway in uh, in the country. A large portion of the military uh, actually went with uh, with Salah. So it's not like everyone recognized Hadi as the new president. A significant uh, a portion of the armed forces did not recognize this guy as legitimate. So what he had was a situation of strength where, that's commonly referred to where governments will pick an enemy 
vilify them, go after them and kill them to show the new strength they have and why they should be recognized as the legitimate regime in the area. So Hadi goes and uh, initiates a conflict with the Houthi rebel group, they're commonly referred to as, and then the Houthis uh, end up taking the capital in this conflict. Hadi then is recognized as legitimate by the Saudi Arabian government, which is uh, just north of Yemen. And a guy named, gosh, what is his name? I think his name is Muhammad bin Solomon, the new deputy secretary of uh, defense in Saudi Arabia, then says, well, we are now going to wage war on the Houthi government as a result. So now the U.S. has switched from uh, uh, going after al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula to siding with al-Qaeda, United Arab Emirates, and Saudi Arabia to fight the Houthi regime, which now holds the capital in Yemen. The method of doing this is through starvation blockade and killing of civilians, according to CFR.org. Last time I checked, about 100,000 civilians had been killed in this process. So this is just terrible. I mean, um, it's it, it's mass murder on uh, on such a scale that I mean, what is that? The 35 911s. It's just so it's so disgusting. And to think that you know we need a state uh, in order to stop bad things from happening while states are engaged in this activity is uh, is just absolutely nonsensical. As far as April 3rd of this year, uh, certain portions of the blockade were lifted for a Ramadan, which you could call it ceasefire, I guess. Um, and uh, more or less, we're hoping that, uh, that this thing is actually coming to an end. April 3rd, the, uh, the, the portions of the blockade were lifted. I haven't checked um, the latest day-to-day. But that should have been a 40-day ceasefire. Now that I look, it has been more than uh, than 40 days, I believe. But yeah, that was according to the Guardian and the United Nations. Um, it's referred to, I think, as a cooperation council. But yeah, that's how the U.S. Uh, was not only uh, murdering civilians, but then switched sides to conspire with the Saudis to commit mass murder in uh, in that area. Poorest country in the world. It's absolutely terrible. The government is obviously the great exploiter. And uh, my final thing, because I got to take off here, is that not only is war the health of the state, where when a government goes to war and they scare the population, they can get away with things they previously couldn't. The state is the health of war, as in the governments couldn't be collecting for uh, not any random group can collect four trillion dollars in one year and get away with all this mass murder. It's only when people recognize this moral double standard that uh, that that exists. So. The state being the health of war means that if you support civilization, if you support equality, if you're against exploitation, if you're against degeneracy, the number one thing you want to oppose is war. And the way to do that is to be a libertarian and uh, not uh, advocate any philosophy of statism or socialism. Jacob, I got to take off, man. Thank you for having me on. Hey, uh, do you want to drop where everyone can find you real quick? Uh, uh, Libertarianinstitute.org. Thank you for having me. Hey, of course, and uh, would love to get you back on. Got plenty of more questions for you. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. Keith Knight, one hell of a guy. Um, Go and check out his podcast. Uh, I made sure to put all of his links in the episode description. Um, 
like I said, it's uh, there. There are so many great libertarian podcasts out there, myself included. You're welcome. Just kidding. Um, but uh, his his is definitely special. Um, I have learned quite a bit from his platform, so definitely make sure and go check it out. Um, as as far as myself, um, you can find me pretty much anywhere. Um, we upload to YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey. Um, we stream to DLive, uh, like I mentioned before. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram. Go follow the Telegram group. There's always some fun stuff there, some great conversations going on. Um, I did recently just start a Substack. Um, I will be releasing articles that I will be writing, um, speeches, and all kinds of other fun stuff. I'll be diving in uh, a lot deeper into some subjects that we cover here. Um, expanding my thoughts on a lot of uh, other things that can't usually do on video, so they will be on my Substack. And you can find that by going to rise to liberty dot com slash link as far as uh, upcoming live streams i have one coming up let's see i believe it's on tuesday um it is with seth for privacy uh we will be talking about digital privacy and monero um it's going to be honestly a great interview and i am super excited to have him on so be on the lookout for that. Like I said, that, that is on Tuesday and it will be later in the evening. Not 100% sure on exactly what time. Uh, just stay in touch, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Telegram, and you can find that, find that uh, when I announce it. It will probably be tomorrow, uh, the 16th when I announce that. So once again, Thanks for everybody watching and until next time.